Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. So now we're, uh, we're going to start this series. This is going to be uh, a little bit different today. I want to start here. Trusting in Christ alone will make you a child of God. Uh, I'm not going to do a lot of review from the last few weeks, but I have to say this right from the start. You are not a child of God because you are a human being. You are a creation of God if you are a human being. Those who are the children of God are those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They're trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their eternal soul. See, uh, going to church doesn't make you a child of God. There was a guy, Keith Green, he's a singer from the 70s and 80s. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Folks, you can come to church all your life. You can be born a Baptist, raised a Baptist, and die a Baptist. You'll die in your sins and go to a Christless eternity in hell if you haven't turned from yourself to the Savior Jesus. That's my concern for my kids and your kids is that just because they're born and raised in this church doesn't make them a child of God. Their trust in Jesus does. If you want God to be your daddy, you want God to be your Abba Father, then you have to humble yourself and recognize it's not by your works. The Bible teaches us very clearly it's not by works of righteousness. It's not by works that we're saved. It's by faith in the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, if you have trusted Jesus, you are a child of God. Not if you've been baptized. We have baptism services coming up. And listen, baptism is an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a declaration that Jesus is not just my Savior. He is my Lord, and I want to follow him. I mean, that's what baptism is. It's a picture of what God has done for you. It doesn't gain you forgiveness of your sin. It doesn't, doesn't clean you any more than the water in your shower cleans you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ alone. So we start there because without that, we're lost. Without that, we have no hope. Then I wanted to take us to Mark. And Jesus is, of course, the only begotten son. We are, we are adopted into the family of God. He is the begotten son. They came to a place, this is Jesus and his three buddies, Peter, James, and John, and they came to a place which is called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I, while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. 
Have you ever been deeply distressed in your life? Can I, can I get maybe a, a hand? Anyone been deeply distressed in their lives? Have you ever been so distressed that you, you didn't even know how to articulate it? You couldn't even speak it. Now, we have, we have guests here, we have visitors here, and we have people watching online, and, and, and these are the types of sermons that when I bring these sermons, I haven't gone through a whole lot of trouble in my life, but I've been through enough, and some of you think it's a lot. I have a disabled daughter, she's 28, oh, she'll be 28 on the 31st, and has cerebral palsy, and then five years ago, um, developed psychosis, which was even worse than the first situation. Um, so we've been through, we've been through some things. I asked God to heal my daughter. He said, no. That irritated me. I remember when Kirsten was screaming and howling in the middle of the night, walking out of, we live in the little house in the corner by the sign, walking out of my back door to the top of the hill here so you can see how far the house is from the top of the hill and hearing Kirsten's screams from the house that far away. Um, I remember being in my bed just crying out to God. Why? Why won't you fix this? Why won't you fix this? So have you ever been distressed? I, I share that with you not to to glorify myself or my family, but to sympathize with you and to empathize with you and maybe to gain a little bit of gravitas from you who are suffering now. Because it's easy to get up here and say, hey, you should be grateful and happy and joyful when you haven't been going through much. It's easy for people to, to get up and speak when they're on the mountaintop and have never been to the valley. And so that's the only reason I bring that up to you. I've been distressed. I've been to a place where I've been very angry with God and very confused by God and honestly been to a place where I almost gave up and walked away from everything about four years ago, three years ago. But God never gave up on me. He never let go of me. He never stopped pursuing me, and he never stopped loving me. So here's Jesus. He says to his buddies, his inner circle, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Now I want you to understand, I have teenagers. They might come into the house and say, I am starving to death. Do you think they're starving to death? Like we use these terms lightly. When the Son of God says, my soul is exceedingly sorrow to death. My friends, he means his soul is exceedingly sorrow to death. He is on the precipice. The Bible teaches us that he began to sweat drops of blood. He was under such strain and such stress as he faced the coming crisis, which was not just his physical torture and death on the cross, although that was a huge part of it, but was also the manifestation of our sins in his 
sinless body. He was about to take the sins of all time, of all people, into his flesh and pay the penalty for them. He's facing this. And I'm not saying Jesus is freaking out, but I'm saying this is tough. And he gets to this garden and another place in the Bible, it says he fell on his face. He fell on the ground and he prayed and he said, if it were possible, God, if it's possible, let this hour pass from me. Let, me. let me get through this crisis without having to go to the cross. And this is a big deal in the moment of Christ. In the moment of his life, he said, Abba. Now, as we've gone through this series, we understand that Abba is that childlike, um, that childlike address to our Father. And Father is an intellectual address. One is this childlike faith. The other is I understand intellectually you are my father and here's the reason why the series is titled abba because a lot of y'all i have a friend from the south here today a lot of y'all you have the father part down pat you have the intellectual god is my father i have been adopted into the family of god i know this god is my father but you do not have abba down you address God on an intellectual setting, but you've lost or you never really exercised your childlike faith where God is daddy, where God is the one you know you can run to, where you have like this childlike trust, this childlike faith that says, I don't understand, but my dad can help me and make it better. That's what we need, church. That's the whole point of the series you know God just as your father? Or have you, have you moved on to understand that he's your daddy too? Do you have that childlike faith when everything's going wrong? Like you cry out to Abba. The interesting thing about Jesus is he uses both. And he understands something. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That is such a difficult, that is such a difficult statement, isn't it? Nevertheless, not what I will, but, but what you will. Lord, I want you to heal this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Lord, I want this to have never happened. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We talk about, that's Jesus talking to his dad. This is us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, what does it say? Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God. And if heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, indeed, Listen, if we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider, this is so important, we're going to be talking about Job today. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that is this earth, waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered 
from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Basically, he's saying, guys, we win in the end, and the end of the curse is glory. We're going to have to suffer for a while. This earth is cursed. Listen, this earth is destined for destruction, but one day this earth is going to be remade into a veritable garden of Eden. Once again, we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we we're saved in this hope, and hope that is seen is not saved, is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. This is the key to surviving the suffering, is hope. In a moment, we're going to have a woman who is becoming a, a dear friend, share her, some of her story with us. She doesn't have time to share it all, but she's going to share some of her story with us. And I believe that as believers in Christ, I'm convinced that as believers in Christ, we're supposed to share our stories to encourage and edify the body of Christ. And I've been trying to figure out a way to do this. And the only way I can figure out right now is to have this, this wonderful lady speak to you directly because some of you are suffering and in some cases you feel like you're suffering alone and in some cases you feel like there's no hope in some cases you've allowed yourself to descend into darkness and you've been listening to the whispers of satan deceiving you about the reality of god your father we go on likewise the spirit also helps us in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined. These he also called, who he called, he justified, who he justified, he also glorified. God is sovereign. At this time, we're going to get into Job in a moment, but at this time I would like to ask Elaine to come and share with you how she has dealt with the sovereignty of God in her life. I'm going to use blue, gentlemen, blue. And Elaine's going to come and she's going to share. So give Elaine a hand. Thank you. Take as much time as you need. Yeah, you used all my verses. I used all your verses. <laughs> it's a God thing. You're on it, you're on it. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Elaine Christian, and I have been attending Emmanuel Baptist Church for a little more than two years, and most recently have desired to become a member. My first introduction was a Christian Christmas production three years ago. I was impressed to see the freedom of creativity encouraged and supported within the body of believers and utilized as an outreach into the community. I am also extremely refreshed by the transparency of the pastor. 
I feel many will be encouraged to see that our journeys are not ours alone, to bear in the darkness, but that we can all come alongside one another and be a light and sometimes a testimony as to how God brought us through similar dark or painful times. I would like to share a bit about my life and the experiences, especially in how it related to Pastor Davis's current series on God as our Abba Father. I am not sure where anyone is in their journey of trusting or viewing God as their daddy father figure. This is just my experience. And although traumatic, I hope you will be encouraged and inspired. I was a young girl being raised Catholic with the steeple just outside my bedroom window, the bells being a constant reminder of the dawn of a new day. I enjoyed my religious education classes, but everything came to an abrupt halt when my mother left fleeing for her life in her bathrobe at 2 a.m. I was awake and perched frozen, peering through the staircase, watching the events unfold, as I had on many occasions. This time, she didn't return. But sometime after, when they thought my father was asleep, we were picked up by the police and brought to our grandmothers to live. After a few months, my siblings and I were returned to live with our highly abusive alcoholic father. And within a year, my mother remarried, moved to Texas. We had no visitation, and we only saw her occasionally for a weekend visit every year or two. She saved herself. And because of the divorce, we were excommunicated, or our parents were. I was seven and in the third grade and given the choice whether I would want to continue my education classes or not. I had already been denied the opportunity to make my first communion. I had the dress, done the rehearsal, and brought my special gift to Jesus. Too many girls, I was told. But in hindsight, the divorce was probably the reason for the church's denial. I have always had a spiritual desire to know God, so I chose to continue despite my deep disappointment. My life at home was tumultuous, violent, and full of fear. And at a young age, I installed a lock on the inside of my bedroom door for fear of my father. I don't want to sensationalize my experience, but high violence and physical and emotional abuse was part of my regular existence. My father believed that fear was respect. School was my safe place, as long as no one knew. I was painfully shy and very private about my home circumstance for fear of the shame I would cause my family or the retribution I would receive if I ever spoke a word. I had no mother to turn to and no father to trust in. And at 13, I tried to take my life. I was hurt by a boy and had nowhere to turn with my feelings. I remember the night clearly. I waited until everyone was in bed and then methodically took three to six times every dosage of every drug in the medicine cabinet, and there were many. I recall two very powerful ones being nitroglycerin and Valium. I am sure I took well over 100 pills as well as liquids, and I climbed into bed shortly after my body started convulsing. 
My bunk bed slammed loudly into the wall. I had no control. My only thought was the fear of being found out. And I would then be forced into counseling or an institution. I was made to fear those things. I remember our lives were a secret. And although I was never told those words, we all knew about not being an embarrassment to the family. So having no human protector, I did the only thing I knew to do. I called out audibly in a desperate plea to God, please have me pass out and wake up fine. I never got to say the word fine. I just thought it. And it was exactly what happened, except I awoke even better than fine. I awoke with the understanding of the awesome power of prayer and being a recipient of a miraculous intervention in me. And in me was born this deep desire to know this God. My prayer life increased, and I prayed for wisdom frequently, which probably explains much of my subsequent life. I had not yet been acquainted with the verse in Ecclesiastes that states, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I was young. I just wanted to know everything so that I could gain understanding. But after losing my daughter, I no longer desire to know everything. I am just thankful for the ability to accept which I suffered and lay it at the feet of Christ for his service, for his will to be done. The next major milestone for me in my walk with God was at 14 when I was grounded for a year for staying out late and punished to read the book of John. <laughs> and although it was rather extreme, it was probably the best punishment ever concocted by my father. This opened my eyes to knowing there is just one mediator between God and man, and that we must be born again. I learned that I could go directly to God and ask for forgiveness. I was now on the search to find the perfect religion, visiting many denominations and comparing any church teachings to the Bible. If in any way it contradicted or added man-made rules to the Bible, I moved on in my search. I decided to make fear my mortal enemy, claiming Romans 8, 14, and 15. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Yes, that was it. Abba, Father, the key to my freedom. Now, Although the abuses did not stop, I did have a perfect father, my Abba father. I recall a vision I often held in my mind as a young girl climbing into my Abba father's lap. It was like he was sitting Indian style and I would just nestle up and be cradled in his lap with his great strong arms folded about me, protecting me from the storms that raged about me. I was never angry with God for the abuses I suffered, although I longed to belong to normal. Romans 8, 16, and 17 rang true deep in my heart that the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit 
that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. I refuted claims that I would be a product of my environment, stating, get ye behind me, Satan, I am a child of the king, and claiming 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. I was a new creation. I was a child of the king, and I will be a joint heir in Christ. This was powerful. This changed my identity. No longer am I the cowering child in the corner. I was emboldened. I now learned, I now lean, sorry, heavily on Romans 5 to make some sense of the chaos of my life. The verse was so powerful to me as a young teen, I wrote it in the back of my address book, the thing we had before cell phones. <laughs> word for word, it actually had been important for my entire life as I seem to frequently have my prayers for gaining wisdom answered with the delivery of yet another trial. For anyone not familiar, it reads, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only that, and this is where it was strong for me. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I have this hope. I have to lean heavily on this hope. And I am thankful for this hope. Without it, I doubt I would ever be free from the trauma of my childhood and many other traumas that I have suffered at the hands of others or circumstances themselves. This hope is so powerful that it gave me the forgiveness to give my father, my earthly father, whether he repented or not. It gave me the freedom to live my life without resentment and the ability to accept that God knew my path even before I was formed. I trust my Abba Father and that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I hope you can as well. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Elaine is not Job, uh, but she is probably his first cousin. She, she didn't share everything that she went through. We wouldn't have time. Um, we wouldn't have time for her to go through that this morning. Things that you can only imagine, 
she lived as a child, as a teenager, as a young woman when her daughter, her teenage daughter, was hit by a car and lost her life. The Friday before Mother's Day. This woman has been through it. She's still struggling. But I wanted her to share a story because sometimes we get caught up in the why and we forget the who. We get caught up in the anger and the screaming and we listen to the whisperer whose sole motivation is to either steal the glory of God or to destroy it in your life. God is not afraid of honest questions. But as we study through the book of Job, we're going to find out that he is above them. So Elaine, thank you so much. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he works all things, even those things, those things which are evil and are done against us. He even uses those things for our good and for the good of others. And while we can't understand them, that does not negate the goodness and the care and the character of our Abba Father. Let's look at Job. One day the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the fallen angel, he came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? As if God didn't know. From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Come on. God, haven't you placed a hedge around him and his household and everything he owns? You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said. Everything he owns is in your power. However, don't lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. The next part of the story is Job loses just about everything. Just about everything. I would challenge you, I would challenge you to go and read the story of Job. Satan was on the attack this morning at about 3.30 a.m. in my life. And I was awake, and the whisperer was coming at me. And I lay there in bed, and I thought, oh, I know how to defeat the whisperer. Because the Word of God is more powerful than the whispers of Satan. So I took my Dwell Bible app, and I popped my headphones on so as not to disturb my lady. And I opened the book of Job, and I just began to listen through Job. Boy, I got to tell you, man, 
You think it's just circumstances, but it was evil. Marauders came and stole and destroyed, and then earthquakes or or whirlwinds came and and killed his children. So he lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost just about everything, and he sat on an ash heap outside of town. Eventually, Satan came, and Satan said, hey, if you let me touch his flesh, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and then he'll curse you. So Job had lost everything. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his, his possessions, his wealth, his status. And then Satan says, all right, well, that didn't work. Let me touch him. And so he causes boils to be sprouting up on his body, and he's in intense pain, and he would take a piece of pottery shard and he would scrape the pus and dead skin from his flesh. Behold, he's in your hands, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils, sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shard with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Dude. Then his wife said to him, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you would do better. I'm thinking you probably would not do better. Job's wife was probably just about like anybody else in this church. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Would you already die? Would you just die already? He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. He didn't call her a foolish woman. He said she speaks like one. He was probably smarter than to call her a fool. She might have killed him then. Shall we, listen to the words of Job, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not also accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Curse God and die. Curse God and die. How many of you, as you struggle in your life, follow that advice? How many of you follow that advice? You curse God. You yell at God. You scream at God. You call into question the goodness of God. You impugn His character. This is what she's saying, curse God and die. In Job's statement, shall we not accept good and adversity? Rings true all down through the ages. Job had three friends. I challenge you to listen to these three friends. Now, the worst thing you can do with someone that's going through a hard time is come and just preach at them. Spiritual sounding things that are not God-approved things. Three of his buddies did that. The last buddy did not, and then God addressed him himself. But while Job was suffering, Job did what a lot of us will do. He answered the Lord, and he, the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. When Job was, was questioning God, questioning God, questioning God, listen, man, Job was a man who, who, who was, a, he was a righteous man, he was a godly man, uh, he, he, he sacrificed for his kids in case they did something. Just in case they sinned, he made offerings for their sins. Job 
uh, if you looked at Job, you would say, dude, Job is a perfect man. Job wasn't a perfect man, but he was a righteous man, and those two things are different. And then the Lord answered Job from the world, and Job is, he's complaining. He's, he's arguing with God. He's like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? What have I done wrong? And he missed the point. God was not allowing this to happen to him because he had done wrong. He was character building, but he had not done wrong. And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Who do you think you are? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. This is what God is saying to Job. Whew. The Lord challenges Job. Job is maintaining his integrity. He's, he's arguing with God. He's like, why have you let this happen? He's doing everything that you and I have done. And God is not afraid of honest questions. But I believe he does take exception when we begin to assign to the character of God something that is not in his character. You follow me? God is good. He will not have his goodness questioned and challenged. The Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. I've been there, church. I've been there. I've been there arguing with God, trying to tell God where he got it wrong. Anyone else ever been there? You've got it wrong, God. How could you let this happen, God? And what we learn from Job is that if something happens, God let it happen. God allows it or it doesn't happen. That's what sovereignty means. He may not have intentionally caught, he may not have caused it, but he allowed it. And here I am trying to correct God because you know, I am so much wiser than God. And we, when we talk about it, and it seems foolish, and we kind of chuckle about it, but when you are in the midst of it, right, Elaine? When you're in the midst of it, it doesn't seem all that difficult a thing to do to challenge God and to tell God where he got it wrong. Are you one who contends with God? Are you the one that corrects him? Then Job answered God, uh, God answered Job from the world. And get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Would you really challenge my Justice, would you declare me guilty to justify yourself, O Job? I'm kind of looking for something to hide behind. Or just maybe sit down on. There's nothing. I can't hide. The Word of God speaks for itself. This is what happens. And I, listen, church, I get it. I get it. And it still hurts. I still get choked up and I still struggle with what my wife and I have gone through. I still struggle with it. But would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? This is God challenging Job. 
Job, what you have done is you have set your throne up in my courtroom and you have sat upon your throne of judgment and you have declared me guilty. What man has the right, the authority and the integrity to judge God? Ultimately, that's, it's not popular, guys, but that's what's happening. In Romans, he says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. The clay doesn't have the right to question the maker. Now, he allows us to question him. No question about that. He allows it. But don't let your questioning lead you away from him. Let it lead you to him. Would you declare me guilty? Are you saying that you are better than God, that you are holier than God, that your justice is better than his justice? The problem with that, church, is that we don't know the beginning from the end. We only know what hurt us. Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like His? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? This is, this is heavy and hard stuff. It's difficult to accept and we've had some horrible things happen in our lives that God could have stopped. But the problem is we really do not understand the beginning from the end. We do not understand the tapestry that God is weaving. And yes, it includes evil things that are done against us. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at Joseph and we're going to see how the evil that Joseph's brothers meant against him, God meant for good. But Joseph had to suffer. He had to suffer in order for God to work good in the world at that time. Would you sit on your throne and judge God? This is what Satan wants us to do. Remember, Satan is involved in the book of Job. And remember when we did Satan's strategies, his goal, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to steal or destroy the glory of God. That is his goal. And if he takes you and gets you on your throne where you are now declaring God guilty, he wins. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. <laughs>